you're not going to get rich selling coffee mugs by any means, but it's the perfect way to turn $10 into a hundred and a hundred bucks into a thousand. And this is kind of off topic of flipping, but I think that's something that most people fail to understand how to do and why so many people struggle with finances is they exchange time for money, but they don't necessarily understand how to leverage and turn $10 into a hundred, a hundred into a thousand, a thousand into 10,000. Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Joe Hart. Joe started flipping about three years ago and is now making a great living off of it. He started tweeting about it seriously at the end of 2018 when he didn't even have 500 followers. Fast forward to today and he's about to break the 32,000 follower mark. In this episode, you'll learn how you can start a six-figure flipping business while building a huge following on Twitter and a bunch more. My name is Yannick, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. How long have you been uh, flipping? I would say I was even doing this in college a little bit off and on, really just to get some beer money at the time, you know, but I decided to take it like really seriously about, it was about three years ago, I was working at a nine to five and, you know, it, it was good to work, but I wasn't making enough money. I had this credit card debt that was kind of weighing down on me. And I wanted to do something that I could increase my income that wouldn't take up a large amount of my time because between my nine to five and coaching at night, I was already working like 65 to 70 hours a week. And so I kind of just put myself back into like, I used to flip little things here and there. Like, why don't I just do this on the weekends? And so that's what I did. Wow. I had um, a spare day. I would go to like garage sales or estate sales or thrift stores. I'd find stuff that was profitable and just list it on, either on a Facebook marketplace or eBay or, or another resale site. And I just slowly started building upon that. And um, that kind of led to the whole retail arbitrage going into your major chain stores and, you know, buying stuff that's not necessarily on clearance or discounted, but people want it across the country or across the world. And so you buy it, you list it and you sell it. So it's been a crazy journey and I'm thankful that I can actually do it full time now. I don't have a nine to five. So it's been a lot of fun. About three years ago, you had a day job, but you know, you wanted to earn an extra income. You started to do like the flipping on, on weekends. What was the moment when, you know, things clicked and you saw, hey, this could be my main thing? I mean, the reason why I started with the garage sales and estate sales was part of it was just the thrill of the hunt because you never really knew what you were going to find. And it was something I enjoyed. It was kind of like it's your modern day version of going on a treasure hunt, right? You know, when you start to find some stuff at you know, an estate sale, like, for example, I paid like $90 for this Italian hand-carved chess set, and then I sold it for like $340 two weeks later, and I thought, wow. that's a decent return on something that I was already interested in. And, you know, I started to do my own little research, and people like Gary Vee were always talking about going to yard sales and stuff like that, and I really just started to kind of expand what I was looking for as far as my niches go. And I started to do my research and I'm looking at other people like, wow, they're selling on Amazon or eBay and they're making an extra $50,000 a year. And then I'm looking at these other people who have scaled to bigger and are doing like $100,000 a year or a million dollars in a year. And I'm like, 
it's not going to happen overnight, but I could do the same thing. It's not what they're doing isn't rocket science. It takes a little bit of time. You got to hustle just like anything else. The hustle sold separately. So I was willing to do it because if that led to the opportunity for me to own my own schedule, like I was tired of waking up early and going to a job I was not happy at. And I was like, you know what? This is a great way for me to kind of set my own schedule and do what I want when I want. What led to the moment of you quitting your job and going into like the flipping scene full time? Was it you saved up money and then you had some money in the bank and then you quit your job and you went cold turkey? Or did you slowly saw that you could make more money to substitute your income, quit your job or maybe went half time or stuff like that? So what ended up happening is I focused a lot on paying off my debt, which I did do that October of a couple of years ago. So I'd started putting money aside and I kept flipping up and I'd started to grow on Twitter and people started to get interested as well. But I ended up not leaving my job. I got let go. I went in to work on a Friday. It was in May two years ago or about a year and a half ago, just like any other day. And they pulled me aside and said, hey, I'm sorry, like things aren't going well. We have to let you go. And I had a brief moment of like, oh, crap. But then it ended up being like one of the best days of my life because I realized I was already planning on leaving at the end of the summer. This kind of forced me out the door a little bit sooner than expected. And that's kind of when I was like, well, it's now or never. Let's like, let's go, go full time. And so that's what I did. So I kind of got shoved out the door, as you like to say, but that's when it really started. And I really, really hustled just to make sure that I didn't have to go back to another job. I think nine to five jobs are extremely important. And I've worked a lot of different ones. I'm 31 years old. I've worked in corporate America. Um, I've worked at small businesses and they've all provided some sort of value, but I got bored easy. So like after two years or a year, I've tried to find something else because I was always looking for something different. And um, this is something that I just don't get bored with. It keeps me busy. I can be as busy as I want or as slow as I want, yeah. depending on the time of year. And so this is something that I just love doing and I love being able to help other people do the same thing. I bought your course and in there you talk about things that are of your interest, you know, like the sport cards and uh, you talk about the mugs and uh, the Lego. I have a friend and he goes to thrift stores all the time, but I don't have any eye for that, you know. He can buy paintings, flip paintings, flip uh, Italian lamps and stuff like that, but I don't see it. So what's a good way of getting into the flipping? This is a great question because this happens a lot. Some person or individuals who brand new have no idea what to look for, right? The best way I can tell people, especially when you're going into a thrift store, it can be a little overwhelming because there's just so much stuff, is to take an hour one day, go into one specific section. You don't want to try to spread yourself and try to hit every section. Go to one section in the thrift store, like Say you go to like all the houseware, like the mugs and the, the plates and the, you know, storage containers, that type of thing, the kitchenware stuff and spend an hour in there just looking at stuff, picking something up, seeing, oh, this kind of looks old. Let me see if it's worth anything. And then I just type in the description on eBay or any other site that you may resell on and see if anything like it has sold. And that's how I ended up getting into a lot of different niches was I wasn't trying to get every little thing in every category. I had my niche and then I was like, I want to learn something new. So let me go into a different section of the store that I typically wouldn't go into. And let me just look around. Maybe I don't find anything. But what that does is if you spend an hour and you take a look at like, let's say 20 things, 
you look and see, oh, these aren't profitable. That's product research because down the road, if you see that type of stuff at another thrift store or another store or an estate sale or a yard sale, you know, okay, I already know that this isn't profitable. I don't have to spend my time on it. I can move on to the next piece. And so that's what I really encourage people to do. You can do a lot of product research and watch as many videos as you want on YouTube um, or Twitter or Instagram, and they all provide great information. But hands-on experience is like really where it's at. And that's the little bit slower process for people. And some people want to take the easy step uh, and skip the, the easier steps. But it's those steps right there that really build the foundation and determine like, are you going to be able to do this long term? Or is this going to be something that you try for two weeks and then give up on it? As an example, I talk about coffee mugs. How did you find out that there's money in coffee mugs? It was a mixture of things. You know, I would see these for like 79 cents at Goodwill. And, you know, Gary Vee talked about mug life all the time. And then I already had interest and I could go back to thinking about like, the old coffee mugs my parents had when I was a kid that were just sitting up in the kitchen cabinet. And I just happened one day to, to grab a couple and I saw like, it must have been like a Disney mug, a Disney character that was for like, I know, 79 cents a dollar. And so I looked it up on eBay. I found a sold listing that that same coffee mug sold for 15 bucks. And I was like, well, I'm going to buy this so I can sell it. And so that was just one example. And then it kind of start to recognize specific name brands of mugs to look for. Certain characters like movie characters or show characters, mugs that look older, you know, that look like they're 10, 15, 20 years old, or ones that have a print date of like 1994, or 1989. The older ones that look like they haven't been in reproduction in so long, those are the ones that typically, you know, can yield you some money than we currently do now. If you have no money, you know, you can go to like a yard sale or where someone has, you know, free stuff to offer. They don't really care about anything. And then you can start with the mugs that you can buy for a dollar. Maybe you still have a dollar and sell them for 15. And how would you do that process? You know, then you all of a sudden you might have, I don't know, 50 or $100. How would you move towards higher margin uh, products? Just like you said, uh, I actually tweeted about this earlier. If I woke up today with $0 and no job and no income, I would go and look for free furniture right away because people are giving away free furniture all the way. Most of the time, it just takes a simple wipe down. You could pick it up and maybe you sell it for 25 bucks or 50 bucks, but that's more than you had before, right? Um, but when it comes to like scaling from like mugs to like, let's say like I do retail arbitrage now. So it's kind of doing the same process of going in the stores, checking out the clearance aisles. Sometimes you find toys or electronics or random things that are on clearance that are actually profitable. Sometimes it's going into the toy section at a Walmart or Target and saying, this kind of looks interesting. I wonder if it's worth anything. And so there's toys that you can buy for $13 at Target that sell for $40 on eBay and sell for $60 on Amazon. And you can buy them nonstop and they will just continue to sell. That's how you start to slowly scale the process. I mean, there's a little bit more into it. You have to do a little more product research, check on price history and that sort of thing. But that's essentially the goal is to buy products throughout the year that maybe aren't Maybe they are profitable and they're a quick flip to increase your cash flow, or they're maybe profitable 
down the road, but they're on clearance now, so you buy them up. For example, there's um, it was a Walmart exclusive Woody doll that went on clearance back in I believe it was May or June for seven bucks, and most people didn't realize they were on clearance because they were never necessarily marked down in stores. They didn't show the clearance sticker, but based on product research and everything, you saw they were on clearance, and so I think I've sold about thirty of them in the past three weeks for like thirty five, forty bucks, and so that was something that I bought months ago, but it's building a nice return down the road and it's super easy to ship. And that's where you start to get into the scaling process of being able to buy stuff. That's a quick flip or something that's going to be a hold that people are going to buy around Christmas time. I mean, this is the most profitable time during the year for most resellers because everyone wants to buy Christmas stuff, gifts and things like that. I can imagine your entire house is full of stuff. How do you manage that? My office is a little full of stuff, but I actually have a storage unit that I keep most of my stuff in. It's just a few minutes down the road from my house. So if I have a few orders that come through, I take a quick little drive. It was getting a little outrageous at the house. So I had to uh, move all that inventory. Down the road, um, when we decide to build a house one day, I'll actually probably build a separate garage just for that inventory. I guess people can do this one day a week, but they also can go full time. When would you make that decision? You know, when's a good moment when you say, hey, I can go all in right now? And, you know, I hear this and this doesn't just relate to flipping. I think this is a good question for everyone because I think everyone's different, right? Some people work better being under pressure, right? So like, let's say their living expenses are $3,000 a month and they're making $2,000 a month from their side hustle. And they say, you know what? I'm going all in that's going to work out for them for a select few people. And then there's other people who think, okay, I'm making $3,000 a month from flipping. My living expenses are $3,000 a month, but I don't feel quite comfortable leaving my nine to five yet. And so for those people, I encourage them to try to get to five or $6,000 profit per month. So they have a little bit of breathing room, right? Um, I think it's just really dependent on the individual. I've had people in, in the group who have done, you know, since April have done over $100,000 in profit. I have countless people who do $10,000 a month in profit, $5,000. And some of them don't even do it full time. They just do this on the weekends. Some of them replace their nine to five income and then decided, you know what, this is great. I'm going to leave my job. And then some people just like it because they can make an extra four or 500 bucks and they pay off their phone bill, their car insurance, and maybe their cable. And they're happy with that. It's really just dependent on the individual and what they're comfortable with. I know I'm the type of person where if my back was against the wall, it would make me work a little harder. But I understand that not everyone's that way. Some people need that financial security. They need to hit a, a certain monetary mark per month. You've been on Twitter since September 2010. You've been flipping now for about three years. Right. You've made like, you can call it a transition, but you've you know also created a business for yourself on, on Twitter. How did you see that opportunity? Why did you you know do that on Twitter? It was a couple of years ago. Somehow I found this whole side of Twitter. I don't know what some people call it money Twitter or, or LLC Twitter, or entrepreneur Twitter. Um, I just like calling it a good group of people, right? From fitness to health to spirituality. Um, to businesses and agencies and, you know, all sorts of things in between, writers, stock investors. 
I found that side of Twitter a couple years ago. I previously used Twitter for a uh, really meaningless stuff. It was more of just keeping up with sports, the occasional politics, things like that. And I found this side of Twitter and I, and I saw like these people sharing this really interesting, actionable advice and how people could actually change their life. They could change their physical situation. They could change their financial situation if they were focusing on being consistent in that aspect. And I was at the point in my life where I was a little bit unhappy with myself. I was in debt. I was overweight. I was just kind of existing each day and not necessarily living. And I just didn't like that feeling because I felt like at the time I was 28 years old and I thought, I haven't done anything, right? And so I thought, you know, I'm watching these people grow their reach on social media and I'm seeing them put out this advice and I don't necessarily know what I'm going to talk about yet, but like, I'm just going to try to do that, right? And I ended up buying Hotep Jesus's How to Build a Cult-Like Following, Dominate Twitter. And I had a one-on-one -on -one call with him. From then on, I just focused, I eliminated any political pages I was following. I didn't follow sports on social media. I focused on following people who could either make me laugh on occasion, provide great information that I could put to use in my life. And that would be content that would enable me to grow rather than for me to just consume and stay stagnant. And over the past couple of years, you know, I went from 450 followers to I think we're we're almost at 32,000, which is pretty cool. It doesn't seem real. Um, but I decided to take this message. Uh, I figured at the time I was in debt and I was working to pay it off. I could start with my message of this is my journey to pay off this debt. This is my journey of losing this weight. This is my journey of going from having to cash out my 401k to pay the bills to not have to worry about paying the bills anymore. Like I can share this journey and maybe just maybe like I could help one person. If I could help one person, if they could relate to what I was going through, because obviously we all go through different experiences, but if I could help one person, that would be worth it. And so that's been kind of my message for the past couple of years. And so that's what I try to do. With anything, with anything social media, you're gonna you're gonna get hate along the ways. You're gonna get called a scam, a fraud. You're gonna get called all those things, and none of those things bother me. Then you know you made it on Twitter. If they call you fake guru, then it's true. I mean, people and and those people, I typically feel sorry for um, because I feel like they probably have something that's unhappy in their life. Um, but I'm a thick skin type of person. So that's stuff I genuinely laugh at because some of the comments are pretty comical and they're pretty creative. Um, and I, I kind of welcome it because it's free. It's free publicity. Right. And I don't have anything negative to put out there towards people. So I'll take all the free engagement when I can get it. And so three years ago, you started with you had like uh, 450 followers. I did. So you've grown quite a bit. It was 450 in. August of 2018. So actually just over two years. You had that call and you decided I'm going to change my life and I, I'm going to share what I'm learning, how I'm losing my weight, uh, literally and figuratively, I guess, by the debt you were uh, still carrying. What did you see, you know, work? What things resonated with people? What really got your growth going on, on Twitter? It can be frustrating trying to grow on Twitter because Twitter, you... I feel like, at least on this side of Twitter, you got to provide something that's going to interest people. It can't just be a general statement where, like, Facebook, you can put 
feeling like crap today and you're going to have 30 people comment, I hope you're okay, like blah, blah, blah. That's not how Twitter was, right? And so really the hardest thing was trying to find what my niche or what did I want to talk about consistently. And then it's being able and being willing to put out content every day, even when you think no one's paying attention. Uh, Because especially when you start with a smaller following, everyone started at zero at some point. Everyone started at 10 followers, 20, 100. It's consistently putting out your own content. It's consistently connecting with people. I can't tell you how many times I DM'd bigger accounts at the time, just saying, hey, my name's Joe. Just want to reach out. Love your content. Hope you have a nice day. Like that was it. I did so many of those messages or I would comment on people's content. Oh, I definitely agree with this. I can relate to this. And then eventually you start to, when you start to gain a following, you start to gain attraction, you start to gain experience on what really flows well, what resonates with people. For me, every every night at 9 p.m., because it's when I get off from coaching at the gym or whether it's the weekend, I always ask who got better today. That's like my signature thing that I ask every single day. Every Friday, I have a, if you don't have X amount of dollars in your bank account, the only plans you should have is hustling this weekend, right? It's not necessarily meant to make people feel bad. It's just to get them to think better. And I've been doing that every Friday for, for years now. You kind of just come up with these things that you, you stick with and it resonates with people. And sometimes it resonates in the positive way. And sometimes they get a little butt hurt over it. But for me, it's really just about being genuine. I'm the same person on Twitter as I am with my family and my friends. I'm kind of blunt. I don't sugarcoat anything. I've got no problem people telling me when I'm wrong and I've got no problem telling people when I think they're wrong. And that's just how I enjoy living life. I don't want any sugarcoated excuses. I just want a yes or no or, okay, maybe this can work out. Like That's how I am as a person because I think there's just, we spend too much time worrying about what other people are gonna think if we say yes or no that we've missed out on a lot of different opportunities in life. And I don't want to come to the end of my life and looking back and thinking, man, if I wasn't so focused on this negative energy, I could have taken advantage of X, Y, and Z. You talked about that it was uh, hard for you, you know, to find your voice, to find what you wanted to talk about on Twitter. How did you go through that process? How did you find your voice? I started consistently talking about paying off my debt, what I was doing, what I was flipping, what I found over the weekend. And that's how it started. And then I realized people were really kind of digging the flipping stuff. So I thought maybe I put together a course or something that maybe people could relate to that could maybe help them make an extra hundred bucks a month, right? I was like, you know what? I got really nothing to lose because I'll spend three or four hours putting it together. And then if someone wants it, great. If someone doesn't, at least I created something for myself. It was kind of like a win-win situation because I'd never created my own product, right? And so that's kind of what I went with. I, I ran a poll. I can remember I ran a poll in December of 2018. And I asked if I were to put out a product on how to flip stuff from Facebook Marketplace and and Craigslist and thrift stores, would anyone be interested? And I remember I had like 102 votes on it and like 82 people said they'd be interested. And I thought, it's done. I'm going for it. And so January 25th of 2019, I dropped the art of flipping. And then from then on, it's just been 
a steady theme of what I talk about. And, you know, since then we've created Products for Profit, which is a, a reseller group. And we have about 1,400 members now across the U.S., U.K., and Canada. And um, we're growing every day. We've got growing pains. Uh, I've made some mistakes. I've done some things well. And it's really just kind of from me talking about it, I started to surround myself with other people in the reseller community and, and made just a ton of great connections with people. And whether they're interested in flipping or not, some people are more focused on, on fitness and, and spiritual wellness. The community that this side of Twitter has is just second to none. And I'm really thankful for it. You actually did like a small validation. You asked, hey, would you like me to create a course about this? 82 people said yes. And there you had your validation. And you actually, you probably also knew, hey, if 82 people vote for this, probably also 80 people will buy it. So you immediately saw that, hey, I'm going to earn my three to four hours of work back. How did you decide what to include and how to price your course? So my goal was I wanted to save people time because me in particular, one, I didn't want to type 80 to 100 pages because I'm kind of lazy when it comes to that. I don't want to type. I hated writing reports. I don't want to type 80 to 100 pages, right? And I thought, I think I want to do this video based because it's easier for me to talk. I had to redo it many times because I'm not really good on camera. So I had to re-record it many times, but I thought if I can do this recorded on camera and I can go through different examples, like kind of live and recorded, then, you know, I can condense this down into like about two hours, like one hour focusing on how I'm finding stuff, where to find it. And then the second hour, like shipping, how to avoid scams and, and that sort of thing and any additions that I wanted to add. And so I went that route because it was something that if it was offered to me that I would buy it. I kind of went with, okay, if this was put in my face, would I buy it? And I said, I would buy it. So that's kind of what I went with. And I wanted to be as specific as I possibly could without it lasting 10 hours. I didn't want people stuck on the computer for 10 hours. I wanted people, I mean, I had people message me after like, I didn't even finish the whole thing, but I went out and I started finding stuff. That was my goal. Like if I get, if people could take the action same day, then that's what I went with. As far as price goes, this is where I made many mistakes. I think I initially put it out for like 49 bucks. And then just because you're excited, you get a couple sales and then you start running a sale. Next 10 people get it for $33 and you start playing around with numbers, right? And so in the first six months, I made some mistakes, like focusing on just trying to get a sale as far as like promoting it instead of like providing the benefits of it. I, I didn't effectively put out the benefits of what this could do for people. So once I figured that out, I rarely changed the price on it. I kept it at 50 bucks for over a year now, and it sells just about every single day. And except for this whole Black Friday, Thanksgiving thing, I'm giving it to anyone for 10 bucks because I'm actually about to do a whole new version of it. But the price is something that you always play around with because you don't want to seem expensive. But at the same time, if you're providing something that could be extremely beneficial for people, I think a lot of people end up undercharging for their expertise. And so I've had people that say they made an extra $10,000 from it in a year and they paid $20 for it. That's a pretty good ROI. If someone told me that I could have made $20,000 and I'd have to pay $10,000, that's 100% ROI, right? I'm not going to charge $10,000 for that. But you get what I'm saying. It's all about 
really taking a good hard look at the perceived value and what it can actually give people in a period of time. And so that's kind of the long, short version of how that went about. I think what makes your course very actionable is that you go into specific products, you actually message people, hey, I want, I don't know, a lower price. <laughs> yeah. And that gets people into the mode. You know, they, they might see, hey, okay, this item is for sale for $100. I can resell it for 150 but yeah, $50 plus shipping might not be worth my while. But if I send somebody a message and just ask them for a lower price, I'll pick it up today for 60 bucks, then people can say, hey, this isn't going to hurt me. The, the worst thing that will happen is just somebody says no, and then you move on to the next product. Exactly. That was one of my favorite parts of doing that portion on the art of flipping was actively messaging people because, you know, I think I say in that, I say, unless it's something that is highly profitable right away and you don't want it to be sold to someone else, I lowball offers to everyone. I, I offer typically 30 to 50% less what they're asking because either one, they don't know what they have or two, they just need to get rid of it. Half the time they'll accept, half the time, or then another portion will counter offer. And then the other people that don't accept, they'll say, no, that's too low. A week later, they'll message me and say, hey, I still have this available. Can you go a little bit higher than what you offer? And that's hook, line, and sinker. You, you reel them in, you throw out an offer. Maybe they weren't initially interested in it, but then two weeks later, they're like, I really want to get rid of this. I'll, I'll give it to this guy. And I always try to be respectful to, to anyone when I'm making offers. I'm not trying to sound like a horrible person, but I'm like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks and I can pick it up today. And if they say no, I say, not a problem. Have a, have a blessed day. Good luck. And usually just being positive and being nice to people, they remember that. So you already talked a bit about your community. You've been selling your course for uh, over a year. What was the spark that said, hey, I'm going to create a community around this niche I'm in? There was a couple of things. I was working one-on-one -on -one with a coach. His name is Western Mastery or, or Sean. And he suggested I do it way back when I just had the art of flipping. Because the art of flipping was like a, a one-time purchase, I thought it's a lot of work potentially to create a community when, when some people like probably just wouldn't use it. I wanted something that people had to put a little bit of skin in the game and that I could help further their knowledge and help them scale something that they would want to actively be involved in, not just like, okay, I did this, that's it, right? So March, places started shutting down around the US because the world was starting to shut down from the virus. And, you know, people were losing their jobs or getting furloughed overnight. And I was having just crazy success flipping stuff. It was really just that easy. There was a lot of things that were profitable that people just were passing by at stores. And so what I was doing is I was offering people, someone to PayPal me 10 bucks and I'd send them three profitable leads that they could make a couple hundred bucks on this week. And I did that for like two weeks. And like people were like, man, I made $500 from that this week. I made $300 from that one item this week, or I made $1,000 in two weeks. This is crazy. And so it was a combination between working with my coach at the time and these people getting these results that I was like, one day I was like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to go for it. I have no experience, but I'm going to put it out there. I'm not going to run a poll. I'm going to put it out there, say, hey, it's going to be this amount per month. This is what the goals are. 
And in my mind, I thought it'd be cool to have a hundred members one day. That happened extremely fast and it grew exponentially. And now we're sitting at around 1400 members since the beginning. And, you know, it started as just a US based thing. And then we kind of ventured into the UK and we have, we have a Canada group now. And, um, we just released an app. I spent a lot of money on a web-based app to kind of centralize and be able to input more information to help all the members. And it's just been a whirlwind of a year. Um, it's kind of crazy to see where it started from and, and where it's at now. It's been wild and I, and I love it. I, I work with a lot of great people. And it's just one of those things where I decided to take a chance on myself because I thought I've got nothing to lose. And it's just proven to be extremely beneficial. And it you know, it's cool seeing people talk about your product. It's cool seeing your name pop up on like Gumroad creators. It's cool seeing people excited, you know, making a couple thousand bucks a month from it. Um, it's just one of the many side benefits of just taking a chance on yourself. And so back in March, while the rest of the U.S. was in the toilet paper aisle, you were in like the, the toil aisle? Or where did you find like the... the it was like, it was toys. It was like, some people were buying bleach. Some people were just buying random stuff that they didn't necessarily want to go to the store to buy because they were freaked out. So they were willing to pay a premium. And there was cards, like the sports card market is huge right now and it'll continue to be huge for a while. So like cards are super profitable and they're still super profitable. Toys, games, Nintendo Switches. Over the summer, it moved to like people were paying thousands of dollars for a pool. It was insane because public pools were closed and people were paying just tons of money for just a basic pool because they wanted their kids outside or they wanted it for themselves. Like even in the UK, the UK group was, was selling hot tubs like that was their thing. That was their bread and butter for a little bit. So it was I mean, it was exciting because people were making stupid amounts of money in a short period of time. Because, you know, it's just a law of supply and demand. And with that, you got the people who don't like that you're, you're selling a pool for double the cost. And then you got other people who are thankful that they're able to find one. Some people get into this mindset of, is what I'm doing wrong? Because I'm selling this for more than I paid for it. And my response is always, you're not selling an essential item, Right. The big thing right now is PlayStation 5 and the Xbox One, right? They're selling for double retail value, sometimes triple retail value. The people who are getting upset over people reselling a video game console, it's, it's not a necessity. And they think what, what happens is people mistake retail price for market price. But what happens is consumers determine market price, it's not the retail. So if they're selling for $1,000, People are going to buy them and people are buying them for $1,000. That's the market price if you're able to get it at retail for $4.99. And so that's what I tell people. They're more than welcome to, to buy it themselves. They're more than welcome to, to get it themselves. I simply was able to, to get one or I was able to get this toy or I was able to get that pack of cards. And if they want to pay for it, great. No one's got a gun to their head asking them to buy it. It's all out of you know choice. That's yeah, interesting because a lot of people just go to one specific store their entire life or whatever, and they just don't look at other places where they can buy something. I had a good example the other day. I normally buy like a small bottle of Coke from the fridge in the store, which is like, you know, I don't know, $1.50. 
but the the bottles were all out. So I went to like the normal aisle and I saw the same bottle again, which was a little bit less expensive, but it wasn't the cooled version. So, but then one foot uh, beyond that was like the big bottle of Coke and it was, I don't know, 30 cents uh, more expensive, but then you had like the half a, a half a gallon version. But I, I never saw that one because I always just chose my you know normal bottle of coke so even in a store you're just oblivion to you know all the options you have because you're just focused on one thing and i guess that's the same with flipping and where you could sell something for a hundred dollars where in another store they sell it for 50 because yeah people just look in one spot right and it's crazy what people there's a market for just about everything and if you think about it, everything is reselling. Walmart buys products for a cheaper price and prices them higher to make a profit. Target, Amazon, Alibaba, whatever the company, even you know service-based. Like if I was going to create websites, right? If I was going to run a, and I charge a company $5,000 to run a website, it doesn't cost me $5,000 to create a website. It costs me this amount in software and this amount in time, but I'm charging for my time. It wasn't the actual cost, right? Um, but yeah, every day people are going shopping and they're passing by, could be hundreds of dollars in profit, could be thousands of dollars for profit. We've been ingrained to be consumers and not producers. So when people see that, as my theme goes, money is everywhere and their eyes open up, they're like, wow, I've been walking past all this for years. When that light switch turns on, like that's super exciting for me because then it just opens up a ton of opportunities that whether they stay flipping or they decide to start their own business or maybe create a course to put on Twitter or another site, whether you know they choose to just do something different that's out of the norm for them, that's when the magic happens. So your community started basically first by emailing people, hey, I have these three deals for you this week or this month. How did you transition to like a genuine community with a platform and stuff like that? So I offered the pre-sign up for PFP. I did a pre-sign up of like 10 bucks a month, which looking back at it now was um, <laughs> I undersold myself, right? But it wasn't about the money for me. So I created Telegram and Discord channels for people for the US. And then I started doing weekly webinars with the members. And then what happened is I had my business partner, Greg, he's also known as Toyfolio, had experience with reselling on Amazon. And so we actually partnered up and helped grow PFP. And we started putting out different information, different tools they could use, like tools that he showed me that I had never even been using that just opened up my eyes to a whole different world of opportunity, which was cool. From there, we just turned it into a community because I think we were extremely active inside the chats. We were answering questions. We offered you know, people to affiliate market for it, which is another passive income opportunity for them. And it's a way that they could actually get their membership paid for by getting other people interested into reselling. By doing that and staying active and constantly working to improve the overall feel and, you know, investing in the app and um, investing in people to help me because I got a little burnout the first couple months because it grew way faster than I was expecting to. And so I think I have a, like 11 moderators now between the three countries that, that helped me. And I'm extremely blessed to have them because they all have a specific niche they're knowledgeable in and they're able to answer questions because I can't be on 24-7, nor do I want to be on there 24-7. 
I try to bring different people in for weekly webinars on, on different topics, whether it's reselling shoes or talking about taxes. Or last week, we talked about Amazon private label with Andy. I bring in, try to bring in some different people just to give different perspective to provide value. So it's not always just about flipping. Sometimes it's talking about scaling. Sometimes it's talking about living intentionally and setting legit goals that you should go after. So it's not necessarily just built around, I've got to buy this, I got to sell this. It's built around, hey, this is profitable. Here's the process, how we do it. And this is how you can do it on your own. Because the eventual goal is like, I don't want them to rely on me, if that makes sense. I want to get them started and help them get started. But I want them to be able to rely on themselves to find stuff. Because I think anyone can do it. And anyone who's willing to put in the work can be as successful as they want with it. And that's my overall goal is I don't want people to feel like they need me. I want people to feel like I just helped them get started in a small way. And now they understand the process and they can go about and scale as big as they want and flourish as big as they want. And I guess the, the, the power of the community as well is that you get a, a lot more value because more people just put in, hey, I found this here, I found this there. And because, you know, US or the UK, wherever it's such a big country, you can diversify based on geography or based on season. So I guess, you know, the value is also in the amount of people in the community. Right. There's so many people that have just different knowledge in a lot of different areas. And it's fun to see where everyone's come from, what their experiences are. And they post their little bit of knowledge or they share a lot of knowledge in what they've experienced and they share their results and that gets everyone pumped up and they're excited. They're ready to go. Like every day I open up the chats and people are, you know, showing off what they scored at the stores and what they're selling stuff at. And, you know, it's just an exciting thing to be a part of because people are excited about it. Thank you very much for this uh, interview, man. Where can people find you? Um, honestly, my main platform is Twitter and you can find me at coach Joe Hart. Um, I am on Instagram. It's the underscore coach underscore Joe. That's pretty much it. Uh, I'm always on Twitter. Um, I do have an email list that's in my bio on Twitter. So people can, I shoot email every couple of weeks. I don't overload people's inbox. So people can find me there if they want to connect. And, um, but those are really my main platforms. That's a wrap on this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you enjoyed this one, please leave us an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter. See you again next week. <laughs>